Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And it's another week. It's another podcast. Yeah. And we are, I'll speak for myself, I'm recovering from the Thanksgiving, you know, the Thanksgiving, uh, the binge, the food binge. So I've been working out and exercising. I'm super sore today. Is it, and you, by exercising, you're speaking specifically of the pickleball. <laughs> specifically speaking of the pickleball. This sport is taking over America. I don't know if anybody that's listening realizes this, but pickleball is sweeping across the country. <laughs> Does somebody own the rights to pickleball hey, th- as a name? You know, I'm actually trying to hunt this down because I admit and I acknowledge the ridiculousness of the name of the sport, okay? Um, but regardless of the name of the sport, it's a fantastic sport. We've got a little group of conduit guys. We had eight join us last night for a little round robin of pickleball. And so I'm sore this morning, <laughs> so I'm moving a little slow. Uh, but I'm you know, trying to work off that extra pumpkin pie that I had. For the uninformed, which I guess includes me, is it, is it it's ping pong, but like with... On a grander scale, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's ping pong meets tennis. Um, so there's a net. There's a net. There's obviously two sides, but you score it as if it's very similar to to ping pong. So it's smaller court. Um, it's a lot of hand eye coordination, quick movements, lateral. It's fun. It's fun. It's a good time. Good cardio. And for those that don't know, Mo has a reputation for being. Um, so we say competitive. <laughs> Should we say competitive? Competitive. <laughs> yes, I like to win. I hate losing. <laughs> Who does it? Um, well, I mean, nobody loves uh, losing, but some hate it more than others. And I think you would be in the more than others category. Like, is it? How's your Christian witness? Is all I'm saying. Uh, I think it's going pretty good. It's going okay. <laughs> Held it together yesterday, pretty good. <laughs> but all that to say is, like, you know, coming off of we're in the holiday season, right? And I know I've got like three parties. Coming up this weekend, yeah. so you know, just trying to get in the get in the groove, do a little exercise, a little cardio. I mean, you've been working on your biceps this this year, and so, I mean, it's just it's that time of year. I mean, you're putting in a little extra work. Yeah the um, the Christmas party thing is obviously pure, mostly American. I mean, they have a Christmas party in Haiti or whatever, but you know, we've got work parties, we got friend parties. Uh, we got, we got our staff party coming staff up. Staff parties coming up, which is um, which I'm excited. You know, last year, uh, as we were in in the fight for normal, we decided to do like sub parties, like at restaurants with the groups of six of us. Yeah. Um, I kind of regret that honestly. I mean, it was. Let me phrase that. I actually don't regret the because it actually was great having like little sub parties. But I look back on it, you know, and think, man, we 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 didn't we over. I think we overreacted. We didn't have to do that, but we were just trying to again fight for normal. Sure, you know, it's like when you're in a shootout with uh with truth, you're like, okay, I'll take this arrow in exchange, you know, to keep whatever. So this year we're we're get a full blown Christmas party back like we normally do. Man, it's gonna be bonkers. Yeah, and that's Friday night. It's gonna be fun. Will you be wearing a tie? You know, I'm uh I'm I'm not sure. I'm tie averse. Yeah, me too. Um, the wife likes it when I wear a tie, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, 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 I'm actually debating this entire wardrobe today. I'm trying to put it together today, so I'm glad you brought that up. Maybe a bow tie. Maybe a bow tie. Yeah, I don't even own a bow tie. I just, I know that it's, my wife also seems to really appreciate the suit and tie. Um, I, I've noticed that my. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? The my uh, the, the the results are good yeah. after a party with my yeah. wife and I yeah. uh, when we return home. If I'm wearing a, a suit, tie. suit and tie, <laughs> something about it. Yeah. So uh, so you know, I guess it depends on what I want Friday night to be like. Maybe if you see if you see me with a tie on, uh, you know that I have ulterior motives. Yeah. With it, uh, Friday night. Romans eight twenty eight through thirty nine. That's where we're heading this Sunday. The past couple of weeks we had a couple special guests. Yeah. And um, 
which has been great. And they've what these special guests have have done, Jeremiah Johnston, um, Mr. Mike Coop, um, they've helped support this idea of the sermon series that we're in, What's True About You. Yeah. And so as we finish up Romans chapter 8, which we've talked about, it's the meaty part, meaty part of, of Romans. I mean, we're in the thick of it. As we wrap up this particular chapter, there's some interesting verses in there, probably some of the mo- more popular verses mm-hmm. um, in Romans is in this section. Yeah. Mostly talking about good things. Yeah, it's... So the uh, most most people when they've when they've taught this or when you've heard this you'll you'll hear these verses taught as um, like success and uh, conquering and more than conquerors and so you you uh, that's how it which is 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 yes what it's saying but it's like I think the most realistic version of life right here in these verses because when he says in all things we're working together he is making a case that um, in the Christian life, we're not guaranteed to not have bad things happen to us. There's a, a theology that goes something like, uh, if now that I'm a Christian, uh, maybe I'm not going to have all good things, but I'm going to have less bad things than I would if I weren't a Christian in my life. And that's patently false. It's demonstrably false. And and many times uh, when you when you come up against that in your life, if you've had that theology that, that I'm going to have less bad things happen to me, um, then it actually rocks your faith. Like, oh, this wasn't what I thought I was. But you know, Paul is laying it out here, keeping in mind he's writing to a church who has been exiled, a church that is in Rome, that's being persecuted, that's in poverty, that's in famine, and saying in all things, God is still working together. For the good of those who who love him, called according to his purpose, and you know, golly, in the last uh, eighteen months to two years in in the American world, many of us have been awakened to a whole new list of things to fit into the all things category. You know, in, in I will say this: having taught this in in places like Haiti, um, they read this differently than we do. Because when they read nothing, you know, fam- famine, persecution, nakedness, nothing shall separate us, they're living those things out and hearing it as a promise to them, man, th- this, uh, we're in famine, we're in persecution, our president was assassinated, our country is literally devolving into chaos, but that's still not going to separate us from the love of Christ. We're playing catch up to that in the West. Uh, because a lot of things we didn't think could happen are now happening to us here. Yeah, it is interesting um, how this past 20 months um, has fractured and cracked a little bit of the Western mindset of just quality of life, right? Just a yeah. regular day-to-day coming and going um, for sure looks different um, and depending on which state you live in, yeah, that's fair. Can look a lot different in California or New York than mm-hmm. it does, say, in Tennessee or Florida. Yeah. Um, and then to reconcile that here in the United States with our brothers and sisters in Christ that live in Haiti or that live in Uganda that we've spoken mm-hmm. of, um, quite frankly, those that live in Canada right yeah. now. Um, and how this verse or this passage might hit a little different. Yeah, it, it hits in a way that, well, that it was intended. Um, True. And, you know, we, we look at the way that our, uh, and, you know, not everyone in the American experience has had uh, prosperity, success. I, I joke about it. Uh, I mean, I grew up extraordinarily poor, like food stamps and uh it just if you guys saw the house that I grew up in, you'd be like, like it's the kind of thing that. Um, in fact, I used to be embarrassed. Like the, the thing about Shannon when I first started dating Shannon, uh, she grew up actually as poor as I did, and as screwed up of a family as I did. And so she was actually the first girl that I wasn't embarrassed to bring home because I'm like, oh, she's you know, 
she's seen this before. She's right. been to this rodeo. But so, so my point is I didn't have like the greatest uh, experience in, in, in America. Not everybody does. But but in all things, meaning that as, as for the vast majority of Americans, even where I was at in America, there was still a government program that provided food. I literally never missed a meal. You know, we might have gotten creative as to what those meals looked like, but there were programs available. So even in our Western experience, our worst day is still better than the best day for most of my Haitian friends. And but God is saying, hey, in all things, and now we're looking at it from here in our perspective, hey, we, there are things that are being uh, taken away from us, uh, f- freedoms that have been, we've just taken for granted, uh, have been taken away uh, or being uh, attempted to be taken away. Um in, in the name of safety, in the name of uh, health, health. Um, certainly not in the name of logic, but but those are things. And so all things in all things, he works together for the good of those who loves him, called according to his purpose. Uh, doesn't mean there's are good things. It just means that in bad things, God is doing good things. God can do good things even though something bad is happening in our lives. And we're surrounded by Bad things. So, we, and we talk about that a lot because I don't think that means we ignore the bad things. Um, that I feel like that is, uh, I don't know, Pollyannish to to ignore that there's things that are happening, um, but to be able to speak freely about them while simultaneously not transferring any sort of anxiety or fear or terror because in all things God is working together for the good of those for for us. Yeah, it uh, reminds me of a phrase I've talked about before, and it's something I used to say actually to my uh, to the artist that I used to manage back in the day. We've talked about that before, but it's this just little idea, this perspective to have one eye in the microscope and the other eye in the telescope. Yeah. So you have one eye in the microscope at all times. That means you're you're really dialed in on the details, the things that are happening in your community, in in the the state you live in, the country, you're paying attention to those things. Simultaneously, an eye in the telescope, meaning that you have a grasp on the big picture, that you're zoomed out to see the big picture. And Romans chapter 8 is a reminder of the big picture, that within the chaos, within the crazy, that we can zoom out and find clarity. Yeah. That, the, that of all the things, and, by, and it's interesting, you shall not separate us from the love of Christ, because those things, right, the, the, the clarity we're looking at for the big picture is that uh, most times when something bad is happening, a lot of times people will think that, okay, I've done something wrong and I'm out of favor with God and I, I need to get back into favor with God and then I can get these good things to happen to me again, um, which is just another version of religion and completely not the grace of God at all that... Uh, Th- th- these bad things can happen even to those who love God. And so but the point is, is that's just not going to separate us from the love of God. So we're not, these things that are happening are, do not mean you are loved less by God. That's what I call transactional theology. Yeah. And it's exhausting. Transactional theology. You have this ledger of the good things versus the bad things, um, and which equals some sort of outcome. Yeah. Right. It's transactional. And that is not, that's nowhere close to the, simplicity and the truth of the gospel. It should be yeah. transformational theology. Like yeah. we are transformed into and we are redeemed um, and repurposed for those good things. Um, and so that's that's I see that a lot and I think I think you do too. Yeah, I do because I, I would go I would go a step further even and say that um, that we actually, it's not only theologically untrue, that in a Western context, it's obviously, it's, it's sometimes it's not even factually true, meaning that we can take two or three things that are going bad in our lives and suddenly everything's working against me. Yeah. Um, which is Genesis 42, 36, Jacob, uh, Benjamin is, a, so Joseph is in Egypt. Ben, you know, as far as Jacob knows, Joseph's probably dead. It's been a few, couple decades now. Um, they've held Benjamin back. And so the sons come back and he says to Simeon, what the heck, you guys are killing me. All these things are working against me. Right. So in, in Jacob's version of the story, these two or three things, which by the way, not good things, bad things, but not all things. All things were not working against jo- uh, Jacob. You could probably, I think I could count three things that I could say, hey, this is, you know, Jacob and, and Benjamin. And 
in the famine. Those are bad things, but it's not everything in his life. It's like a victim mentality. Yes. And the careful thing is that, you know, because the, the list that Paul gives, by the way, is actually really extensive, way more extensive than the list that Jacob gives. Jacob gives this, uh, these three, all things working against me. It's like three things. Paul goes on to say, hey, by all these things, famine, persecution, nakedness, uh, all these things uh, are, are working together for the good of those. And, and of course, we saw in Joseph's, uh, Jacob's story that, jo- that those things actually were working for him. Joseph had not been. Not only was he not dead, he's in Egypt right now. Like, it wasn't working against him. And he he was able to see that in real time. But, you know, we read it in, in hindsight and we see that. Um, but in, in the moment right now, if you're in a moment of all these things are working against me, um, I, I would actually recommend, especially in a Western mindset, to make an inventory yes. of the things that are going well in your life so that you don't have the victim mentality that, you know, you know, the, if, if, if you might lose your job because of the vaccine mandate, if you are um, in, in a place where your, your province in Canada is shutting down again, like these are bad things, but they're not all things. There's, there are good things in your life. So take an inventory and then we can trust God with, uh, with the rest because in the bad things. So for instance, in Haiti, that's like, and by the way, it's like a cacophony of bad things happening. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're not paying attention to our, <laughs> our friends in Haiti and what they're dealing with, what that country is going through, not just now, but over the past I don't even know. For sure over the past decade, right? Yeah. Since the the major earthquake, but for... The last two years have... Two years, for sure. ...have been worse and worse and worse. To the point now where when I'm going there, I'm actually taking Apple AirTags. And putting them in your suitcases and in your... Here's the thing. I've got one for my... I've got one for my... This is a really true story. I've got one that I put in my shoe. One for my pant pocket, one for my shirt pocket, and then one in a little Ziploc bag that I'm going to swallow. Now, here's the thing. I don't even know if that's going to work. You're kidding, right? Did you not know this? You're going to swallow an AirTag? Well, I mean, if I'm being kidnapped. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, no. I mean, my blood pressure just went through the roof. Yeah. Did I not? I I didn't tell you this. You didn't tell me you were going to swallow an AirTag just in case you got kidnapped when you go to Haiti next. Yeah, see, I just punched Mo right in the six. Oh, Um, man. But here's the thing. So the thing about the difference between our numbers on the Enneagram, the five, six, I can can game all this stuff out without actually losing my sleep over it. Like, I don't know how I don't, but if I'm the six, it'll like completely freak me all the way out. But So what, are you going to like wrap it in chocolate or something? Like, how how are you going to do, these things are small. Well, no, they're not. I wish they were, I'm going to be honest, I wish they were a little smaller. Seriously, yeah, I mean, and I haven't what? practiced this either because I don't know how it's coming out the other end. What if either. that thing gets hung up on your <laughs> appendix or something yeah. on the way? Well, out. I don't know. There's these are these are logistical questions that I have not thought through, but oh, but I don't know what else to do. Like if you get kidnapped there, I mean, it's true. I, I, this feels like something that, that happens. Like I need to know. Yeah. So in in the way the air tags work is they ping off of everybody's iPhones. And the thing about the, this, uh, if, if you're if you're not familiar with what's happening in Haiti right now, the president was assassinated in June. But even before that, drug gangs had been taking over sections of Port-au-Prince, which is the major city, the major population base of the, of the country. And so, you know, if you're, if you're in Nashville, you've got like the Antioch gang, you've got the Bellevue gang, you've got the Franklin gang. Like they, they all have their own little territories and they're sort of created this loose cartel coalition. Um, Are they working together? On some things. Yeah. But just like a good cartel, um, you know, some things. And so, for instance, the the gang that uh, uh, kidnapped the 17 missionaries last two months ago now is called the Mwaso gang, which uh, is actually a Creole word for redneck. Really? Yeah. So it would basically be like calling them the hillbillies. Interesting. Because these are country guys. And so the main guy, Jim Cherigier, whose nickname is Barbecue for reasons that you would could surmise – um, he's the guy in charge of the coalition of gangs. He's not a fan of kidnapping Americans as best anyone can tell because he knows it's not helpful for what they're doing and Americans don't pay ransom, so it doesn't really help their business model. But uh, the, but the hillbillies uh, kidnap them anyway. Uh, it, it's, it's so the, the, the kidnapping is why I'm, I'm taking the air tags with me because I'm just... And that's it. I don't know who's coming for me. Like, I don't know if we start a GoFundMe or what the... You know, I don't know how this comes. What kind of ransom money do you think we can get? Well, they can get for I, you. I, I feel like one of the first things we got to talk about, like if you, because it's it's they're about a million to two million per person. I'm like, bro, let's just give me your Venmo. I bet I can come up with twenty grand. But if if you're if you're waiting for two million, you might be waiting a while. You think they'll take crypto? Are they into the crypto down there? Oh, I don't think they even have the access to it. Like, 
the um I don't know, that's a good question because so far so here's the thing. I will say this. This is the first time since the gang wars have taken that they're actually kidnapping Americans. It's terrible. Um, I don't think they're going to continue to do that because they're not doing this for fun. They actually want the money. But they have been kidnapping Haitians and Dominicans and French and people that pay ransoms. The U.S.'s um, version, that we don't pay ransom, there is a benefit to that because you don't start a market for it. Um, what's happened in Haiti is they kidnap a guy, you know, he's, they know he's a teacher. So they're actually, it's actually causing a huge brain drain. They're, they're kidnapping doctors. They're kidnapping college instructors who have access to finances. And so, you know, they'll start at like a quarter of a million. They'll end up taking like 15 or 20 grand or five grand or whatever. But, but this is real money for them. So it's a, literally a business model. Like they're, you know, kidnapping and selling people. And you pay them the money and they turn them loose. Like that, that you know. Is this, is this what it's boiled down to in Haiti right now? Like this is, mm, yeah. I mean, who's running the country? Is there, is there a central person running the country? No. So this will give you a perspective on that. The the gang coalition uh, took over the fuel distribution for the entire country, meaning uh, it's a country of eight million people. There's a port in uh, right in Port-au-Prince, which is one of the main fuel hubs of where they get, in. and it's all imported. Of course, it's all imported. But they just took it over. Like, and there's not like, like in America, if you and I took over like a gas station, you know, we would be, we'd be inside holed up and there would be cops out and there'd be like a standoff with guns on one side, guns on the other. That's not how it's happened there. They just took it over. The national police, there are, there is no standoff. They just took it over. And so, and then for a while they cut, they literally cut the entire country off. There was no gas getting anywhere. Hospitals were shutting down. This was like last month. Which to me is a bigger problem. I was supposed to be there last week, and I just just based on the fuel was why I was not going. Because if they shut down, like if if, if gas can't get to planes, if gas can't get to hospitals, you know how do you get in or out of here? Um, they figured out quickly that this has not made them extremely popular amongst the the people, which they they need some of that on their side, and so they have begun to you know release gas. But again, they meaning there are gangs. So when you want to know who's in charge of Haiti. Uh, it's it's the gangs. They, there is a central-ish government, but they're completely impotent. They're completely outgunned. They're outmanned, and there is corruption everywhere. If I'm being totally honest, it feels very similar to what's happening in San Francisco. Yeah, you know, that's a funny thought because uh, <laughs> I mean, it actually is like that because the, come I mean, in and take our stuff. As long as you don't take more than $900, you can steal whatever you want. Yeah, if you're not paying attention to the... The, the raids, the looting that's happening in major cities, yeah. specifically in California um, and in Philadelphia, I believe. Yeah. I mean, complete ransacking of, of retail stores yeah. with no consequence. So imagine a step further down the, the distribution chain where the gangs don't even wait for the stuff to get to the store. They just take the trucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um supplies, groceries, we're going to stop this here and we're going to take all of it for our stuff. Is that what I saw on the news today about um, a gas tanker was hi hijacked in it, Haiti? So it was not. Um, it was, so this was in Capetian. Now, it's a little sketchy to me as, as to the explanation. So Capetian is in the very north. Um, it's the second largest city in Haiti. And it's it's funny. It's only like a, maybe 100 miles, maybe from Port-au-Prince, but it's like a 12-hour drive. Oh like my. it's insane. Um, but it, it actually, um, the story is that it crashed because a moto, which that doesn't, you know, that, that could have, we've been there, that could easily happen. A moto motorcycle, you know, run, runs this guy off the road. Yeah. Uh, that the major, the, the, the story though, that when he did crash, so for whatever reason he crashes, he crashes and there's so little gas in this, in the, in the nation that Haitians do what Haitians do, which is they're all grabbing buckets and, and oil bottles and trying to get gas out of the tanker. Oh my word. And somehow ignited it, it exploded, killed 59 people that they know of. To mine, wow. the last count I saw, over 50 are wounded. And if you've, I've been burned before. And if you have the best acute medical care in the, in the world, a burn hurts really bad. Yeah. And so you're talking about Haitians who have been burned extensively in field hospitals, meaning they're laying on stretchers in tents outside, which means they're suffering immensely. But so, so I don't know whether it was, I don't think it was hijacked. Um, 
but it was certainly stolen from from desperate Haitians who desperately need gas and fuel for their generators and for the, the electricity is off in Haiti every day from like 4 a.m. until sundown every day. For the last two years, it's actually been every other day. So you know the hotel we go out with yeah. Bernard. Right? Um, he's got to run that big honking generator, which is like a fifty thousand dollar generator. He's got to run it. Uh, at, at night when we were there, he would run it, but now he's got to run it um, every other night because they don't even have it at night every other night now. Because he needs the fuel to run it and yeah. it's limited supply. Yeah, so every hospital in the country has to have generators. So the hotels, which are not that many, have to have generators because the country itself couldn't. And this is before the nonsense started. Um, and, so, and so what you have now is a country without uh, a central government, without any path forward towards it, uh, an assassinated president with uh, – there's a New York Times story yesterday that actually did a pretty good job of explaining how you end up with uh, this this president who was assassinated and why he was assassinated because the guy before him has ties to the drug trafficking. If you've ever watched an episode of Narcos, you see that they, you know, they'll drop these planes off in, in Caribbean island nations. Haiti's one of them. Like you can literally land a Cessna in Haiti on a landing strip with impunity. Sure. In and out. So trafficking, child trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking. It, it's, it's, and so he, the, the rumor was, was that Moise, the president, was getting ready to name. He was putting together a dossier, uh, the steel dossier, a dossier with actual names of people who were involved in the drug trade uh, that he was going to turn over to the United States DEA. And that was what they think actually uh, got him killed. Um, whatever the case was, he's dead. And now there's nobody in charge. There's no, there's a prime minister who was actually connected to uh, the former president who's connected to the drug trade. So he has no credibility in the eyes of the Haitians. The gangs are, comp- these gangs are malicious. They, you know, it's, I, I hate to call them gangs because you get ideas of like the bloods and the crypts with handguns. These are guys carrying around like M4s and Kalashnikovs and AK-47s, not semi-automatic, automatic weapons with bullets and the national police have no recourse against them at all. So our friends that are down there, Pastor LaFleur, Jean-Marie, Fednay, like how do they how do they reconcile all this on the day-to-day um, and continue to have hope yeah. in well, a nation that is absolutely off the rails? Well, they're living the all things, right? Yeah. Can, can God be working in these things? And, you know, I'm not there with them every day. I'm scheduled to head back down in a, in a few weeks. But um, when you talk to them on the phone or online, they don't talk about it much. They're talking about their hopes and their dreams still, you know? That's amazing. We, uh, my sister wants to finish her medical degree. We want to finish this project. We want to, the Bible Institute. We want to, you know, they're still having school. They're still doing Bible school. They're, you know. Forging ahead. Yeah. More and, than conquerors. Yeah, more than conquerors. All, and all these things, God is, you know, of all the things that they are separated from, the one they're not separated from is the love of Christ. And if that's the foundation that they're on, uh, and that's the lesson, I guess, you know, for us. It's not, I guess it is. It's the lesson for us is that in all things it can be that, then it can be here with COVID restrictions and nonsense as well. Meaning um, it doesn't mean we have to like it. It doesn't mean we are going to stop talking about it. It doesn't mean that we are going to suddenly acquiesce and comply. It does mean that God is still working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even in our own country. Man, that's good. You know, in in Haiti, some of the good that we're seeing, where God is doing, that we can see, you know, we just wired fifteen thousand dollars either today or yesterday. You know, figure the math out. It's about twenty five cents per meal, beans and rice, that will provide for hundreds and hundreds of families for the next couple of months, and we'll continue to do that. So, in all things, God is working there. He's providing food and He's providing uh, provision for those folks, including the education that we continue to provide and not just us, other churches, other organizations. I was at an event that hands and feet, uh, project organized and they're continuing their work there. The, the, you know, just because it gets hard doesn't mean you go home. And so in all things there, God is working in the same way that in all things here, God is working for those who love him. Which uh, what I love about that is it allows brothers and sisters uh, here in the states to lock arms and support our brothers and sisters there. You know, it, it it's uh, it allows us to link together and to help to help 
bring bring hope just by being available by the generous donations even just towards this yeah to actually like practical daily supplies yeah are being brought in and it's like they haven't been forgotten yeah um there's work to be done and we're in the church is stepping up and doing something about it not the government the church the community of believers yeah the the unity that it brings and we can speak to that specifically for conduit and i, I wish every church uh, had the same story. A lot of them do, but you know, when you come together, there is a unifying thing that happens when you get to lock arms and do something that actually matters and is purposeful, and it is part of what God created us to do and, and to be. And so, helping our brothers and sisters there, uh, which we've been doing for eighteen years, uh, and we will continue, you know, God willing, another eighteen years as long as it takes, as long as we have the ability, you know, First John four, like if you if you see someone in need and you have the means to help them and you don't help them, how can you say you have the love of God in you? You know, right now that has been extensively overseas, um, and you know who knows at this point, you know, with things going on in San Francisco, with things going on in the West Coast, and you know, I'm beginning to realize that there's a mission field happening even in our own country uh, that that's different than what I thought it was before. I mean, you know, I always knew there was a mission here, right? The gospel needed to go forward, but you know, you're looking at economies like in California that I don't know how they survive for the next decade. I mean, they're literally living on borrowed time, borrowed money for the first time in recorded history. California is re- recording a, a net, uh, decrease in population, people, more people moving out than moving in. And, uh, to, to me, those numbers don't actually tell the whole story because, you know, just like in a church, you know, a small percentage of people traditionally will actually be giving the largest percentage of the income to it. That's just how life works. And it's the same in a government. The, the small percentage of people that are giving the most as far as taxes, those are the ones that are actually moving uh, out, at least a higher proportion of those. You know, the most famous being obviously Elon Musk and, and Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro and Candace Owen, like these are people that were paying enormous amounts of taxes that are that are leaving. So I don't think that the the percentage just based on population is enough to really explain the whole problem. When you start losing tax bases, um, uh, it's going to cause even greater problems for them. Well, and speaking of California, they have uh, just implemented a statewide mask mandate. It is back in full force. Is it like today? They've mm-hmm. Yeah, this week, um, the the mask mandate has been um, put into effect statewide. It took effect, takes effect today, Wednesday, and this is all this is all because of the Omicron variant, of which includes fifteen cases in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, so fifteen cases, mask mandates for the entire state. Wow. Um, so we're back to that in California and people that live there, uh, you know, it's just like everywhere else, right? You're either for it or against it, but the, those that, uh, are tired of it are looking for a ways out. I mean, we all have friends that live there that are just, yeah, they're, they're trying to leave. Yeah. And friends that have left, um, have come here and I will, I will say this, you know, um, it, it, we're in, we're from Tennessee, right? And so a lot of a lot of Californians have moved here: New York, Illinois. Um, like you're welcome here. We're excited that you're here. The free state of Tennessee. The free state of Tennessee. But but we're excited that you know that we were able to be a place of freedom for you. Like uh, you know, it, it's almost a, a a place where I'm assuming, you know, they're starting to hear you know people like wrinkle their nose at them and ah, oh, you're Southern Californian or. Um, but there's, it's, it's a good thing that we actually have a place here that, that is desirable and it's desirable because of, of the freedom. And by the way, our numbers, COVID numbers are no different than they are in, uh, California or Texas or New York. They're all the same. Percentages are the same. Yeah. So these percentages are all, none of them are any different based upon mandates. So if you're in California, I, I honestly don't even know how they justify these anymore because you're like, if you've, you've, have you heard of Florida? Do you know what's happening there? Like it's actually we're doing okay. Like it's, um, but that said, like it's creating a place where I don't know financially, uh, how that, how that survives. And as a church, I would say, I want us to be ready for 
helping those in our own country. Like there's an entire possibility here. Now, I'm the guy that's going to swallow an air tag, so take this for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, that the, the first wave of people that have exited places like California, Illinois, whatever, are people who, who've been able to sell their homes. They've got money to be able to pay for the houses, clearly, because they're paying like a lot of money for houses. But there's another wave coming if this continues. And those are going to be folks who are, it's like the grapes of wrath in reverse, like the desperation of, of people who, are, or who don't have a home, who don't have money and just need something and anything. And I want our church, I love our community, but I want us to be ready to receive and love those families should that happen in our own backyard. You know, we, we don't want to be the, you know, not in our backyard and, you know, be unwelcoming. It's like, it's literally like immigration inside of the United States. I mean, that, that's, again, I swallow, I'm going to swallow an air tag, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But that is a that is not implausible in a country where the states have the individual rights, which they do, and these states creating these environments are losing people, more people than they're gaining, which means financially at some point it's a problem. So what we're seeing here in Franklin, Williamson County, um, in middle just middle Tennessee in general, we're seeing a lot of folks from California. We are um, meeting a lot of new folks from Illinois. Chicago area, from New York, the entire state of New York, uh, have made their way down this way. Um, several Colorado are finding themselves here, which yeah. is interesting because they're mostly in Denver. Yeah, folks that have moved to Nashville, um, and so it's it's all across the country, and it's just it's interesting. Obviously, there's a population shift happening, seemingly between uh, blue and red states. Yeah. Naturally, I know a lot of folks that are would consider you know to be red, living in blue states that are moving to red states. What I don't know are is are are those that maybe vote blue or have the whatever the definition of someone that is blue are they moving to blue states? Hmm. You know, are they are they extricating themselves out of red states and moving to blue states? That I don't know. I can't speak to that. Yeah, I'd be shocked if that's true, but. Um, there's definitely lines being drawn, literally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, you, you couldn't say that that... You, that I, I can't think of any, I don't know, anybody that has made the reverse move. Yeah. Um, you know, they're coming in and enjoying the the benefits of what they've had. I, I remember hearing a, an interview of a guy that... Had, he's a very liberal guy. Live, you know, he just moved to Austin, Texas, and he said he's asking people at the grocery store, how did you vote? Because I just want to vote however you voted. To get whatever we got here, I just want to vote because I don't want to screw it up. Um, so it's, you know, very, it's actually pretty smart, you know, for a guy that has voted hard blue his whole life. But to see that how some of those policies are imploding uh, in, in a city of Los Angeles that he has loved and lived in for 25 years, he's realizing, okay, whatever we did there, that didn't work. So let's not do that again uh, here. And, and that said, when you start looking at the, those restrictions and those kinds of people leaving, that's the part where, again, in all things, God is working, you know, on our behalf. Now, I don't know. I honestly don't know how this plays. Like, I don't know the ultimate future of this and, and what it looks like. There's a part of me that, uh, I mean, it's a big part of me that kind of wants to go back to normal. I want to go back to the naivete that I had in February of 2020. And there's this other part of me, though, that is seeing... Uh, man, God is absolutely inside of many Christians, including myself, galvanizing us with, do you, why are you really serving me? What are you willing to give up for what is true? Like it's, there, there is a, a revival happening in the hearts of, uh, and I say revival, I'm not, it's more like an awakening. A revival seems to mean to go back to something that's happened before. I'm reviving something that was dead and making it alive. This feels like an awakening of something that was asleep and now is being yeah. awakened in us. And I'm seeing that in people in our church. I'm seeing it in people on our staff. I'm seeing it all around me. And so there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe we don't want to go back because God is in this thing. God is awakening us to um, to the reality of the world around us. Yeah, because when you wake up, um, typically on any given day, you uh, you get up and go do something, right? Like you have a task, like you go to work, there's things to be done. Um, and so that kind of feels like what, as a church, has 
we're waking up, we're looking around and noticing, okay, well, there's there's some things that need to be done. Yeah. And so we're getting to work collectively Yeah. as an awakened body of Christ. Yeah, and part of that awakening is is truth. I mean, honestly, it's uh, I'm more passionate now about, and I've always been pretty passionate about truth. It's part of the charm of the Enneagram Five, right? Is that I just want to know what's true. It's not about being right. That's not that's not correct. It's like what was true, and what we've seen in this last year has been uh, more than ever an exposure of how much. whether it's politicians or corporate media are willing to live by, by lies, not just tell lies, but live, live as if the lie is true. We just saw that, I mean, yesterday, the, the New York Times, you know, releases a story that uh, Dave Ramsey, who is local here in Tennessee, is being sued by a former uh, employee uh, because of COVID restrictions that he was, he was, uh, I think the premise of the lawsuit is that he was, uh, his religious rights were violated because he was not allowed to stay home uh, in June of last year because of COVID restrictions. He wanted to stay home. And so he religiously, his, those religious rights were violated because he was fired. And that is absolute madness in general, whether, you know, if somebody likes Dave or not likes Dave, that's a, that's a madness moment what people may or may not know is that in june of last year you remember like it was companies were shut down by the way companies are still shut down working remotely right now and dave and his board decided hey in june we're reopening and we're reopening fully you can wear masks if you want to you're grown-ups you can make those decisions uh but you cannot work remotely and unless you've got medical reason they offered that as a thing if you got a medical reason absolutely stay home but if you're not back here in a week and you're not, then you're fired. And I looked at that and thought, man, somebody with some courage. Because here's the thing, two years later, without you know, King Fauci or somebody giving us permission, no companies are going to be able to do this. All, you know, there's a story uh, about the, the Coors uh, organization, how they're having, they're having to all go remote again. And it's because they literally have coddled to this for so long. And there's no definition of, of safety that is across the board. There is no definition of, of what is or isn't acceptable across the board. And so now they're going back remote again. Now, by the way, their factory workers aren't remote uh, in, in course. Like there's 17,000 employees, but it, these corporate people, they want to stay home. And even in the article, they're talking about, yeah, this mom's gotten used to seeing her babies in between uh, meetings. You know, she's getting used to staying at home. So is it about safety or is it because she wanted to stay home? But this lawsuit, and again, so the New York Times, they published this piece, and it's like, it's a, it's a hit piece all day long just describing this lawsuit. But they're describing this employee's lawsuit as if it's gospel truth, that his rights were violated, because it, it actually implies that he is not safe because he went to work. Right. That he's not, and his child is not safe because he had to go to work. And so he's suing them because of, of that. And th- I mean, I, it's absolute madness to me that someone I mean, we're in America anybody can sue anybody for any reason but the way that the New York Times again living by a lie they're making the statement that this kid guy girl whoever it's a guy actually uh, is right to sue them because his life was in danger because he went to work and uh, it's I don't know how much I don't even know what the lawsuit is for but it's because of the health benefits affect the way the article wrote so he wanted to work from home to protect the health of his wife and son in accordance with his own Christian beliefs so the question is if you're an Amazon worker who is just you know the guy that's putting the boxes together and getting ready to ship out can you stay home and work because of your religious beliefs or do you have to go to work, right? <laughs> How else would they be, those items be boxed up and shipped out? Yeah. <laughs> and so he's he's not making he's saying it's about his health, but it's actually because he wants to be home and because of the kind of job he has that he wants to stay home. Now, by the way, I thank God for governors like Ron DeSantis, governors like Christy Nome, and for employers like Dave Ramsey. Because the only way this quote-unquote data research, all this stuff, when you hear these numbers about masks work and data shows, research shows, it's not real research. Because research would mean that, hey, we tried masks in this school and no masks in this school, and here are the difference between the results. Okay, 
There are none of those. They're only looking at schools that had masks because all the schools required masks. When you look at this, you've got a company of 1,200, 1,300 people. Um, and look, I've been in the building. People, There are people that wear masks. So clearly there's no requirement that they can't wear a mask. But it's a, there aren't as many, right? And so my point is, is, here we are two years in, you should be able to look at the Ramsey Solutions Company and say that they should have demonstrably larger numbers of COVID. They should have demonstrably larger numbers of deaths, and they don't. So I'm thankful for a guy that had the cojones to do this because now we can look and say, did he have better results than Comcast or whoever made their employees stay home? Did we, in a church who has been open since June of 2020 without any restrictions, do we have worse results than, say, a, a larger church that has remained remote or did masking? And, and the answer is no. We have no worse results than any of the others. Right. So we're not saying that whether COVID is or is not dangerous. What we're saying is are these techniques, are these policies effective or not effective? And if they were effective, then Florida should have demonstrably worse results than New York, and that's not the case. So I don't even know how I got down this road, or then I'm just angry <laughs> that in all these things that a guy can sue somebody who actually had the courage to keep his employees at work, keep his employees paid, by the way, and effective. And by the way, in the middle of a, of a downturn in an economy where finances are worse than ever, it was providing a service to our country that's probably more important than anything. He's out there crusading against college debt, against kids getting $100,000 in loans. So who else is doing that? But they're doing that here. And so you've got the New York Times living by the lie that, that this is like the, the, the cultural, secular catechism of it is that, the, that you're safer if you stay at home and then using that to bludgeon somebody with it living by the lie. Meanwhile, Kroger has implemented the exact opposite. Uh, their employees now uh, are fined. Well, they wouldn't call it a fine. I'm calling it a fine. But they are adding a surcharge to their health benefits if you're unvaxxed. Yeah, that's a fine. Um, and it cuts their sick leave. So if you're sick and diagnosed with COVID and unvaxxed, then you're not allowed to use your sick leave for those. Wow. Um, what are they considering vaxxed? Three? <laughs> well, Three shots? Like, what's that? It's a great question. I, I don't see that documented in this particular article. Um, but they are offering, this is the good news, they are offering a $100 bonus to workers that do decide to get the vaccination. 100 bucks to get the vaccination. 100 buck bonus. Merry Christmas. But do you um, see why? But it's just so incongruent, both sides. And, and again, so you don't have a central theme. So, you, by the way, you don't, you know, if, if the New York Times wants to be congruent, say, why is Kroger not requiring three shots? Because CDC is now saying you need a third shot, you need a booster. There are corporations that are requiring it that are... So why are they not if it's not a it's, – it's completely incongruent. And, and that's the thing that I think when you look back on the churches, um, especially the churches, but at companies as well. I have really good friends that uh, are pastors who went along with what the government asked them to do, trying to be obedient, assuming you know, these guys have our best interests in mind. And, and, and I honestly I'm, – I'm in the minority. I actually think they do. I actually think they really think they're helping. Um, that doesn't mean they are. Uh, it can be really sincere about something and be sincerely wrong. But they kind of have, I think, went into it then waiting for the all clear sign from somebody. And then we can go back to normal. But nobody's giving us the all clear sign. There is nobody who can give an all clear sign anymore. Is it right. Biden? Is it Fauci? Is it the CDC? Is it the who? Is it Because they're all giving different playbooks as to what is and isn't. So there is no – so a lot of these churches right now especially are in a little bit of a pickle – because they used compliance with the government for their reasoning of why they shut down or why they're doing social distancing or why they're requiring masks. And, and thank God, most of them that I know of anyway are saying, but we're not going to do that with vaccines. So like in New York, where there's, it's entirely plausible they're going to require churches to check your vaccine card before you walk in the door, they're saying we're not going to do that. But they're, they've got themselves in a corner because then why wouldn't you do that? Because we, you said you would comply. And so they're catching flack from the, the people that have stuck around because they were distancing. And then now they're catching flack because they're not uh, requiring the vaccines. And any argument that they use about why they're not require vaccines could actually be used about why they didn't require masks right. or why we didn't. And so there was no line. There was no central person saying you're free to go do this now. And 
um, you know, for us, I, I, you know, like I take no pleasure in it, but I am really grateful that we just said, you know what, this is not, there is not going to be an all clear sign. So yeah, it's not coming. We're going to be the ones that are going to say what, what is clear or not as clear. Yeah. Now, now that's it. Uh, I look back in June of May and June of 2020. I was like, I was actually being Pollyanna. I'm like thinking, you know, we're going to go ahead and open now because we can see clearly that this is not helping. Clearly that these policies are not effective. And clearly, even by June, you could already tell that this wasn't dangerous to children. But here we are, 20 months later. I'm like, God, somebody or people are still saying that this is dangerous to their children. There was, a, there was an interview with Billie Eilish and uh, Howard Stern that was making the rounds on, on the internet yesterday. And, and she was talking about, it was, you could actually feel her actually have to backstep because she was talking about that she's, she had COVID and she's like, oh, I was so sick. I was the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. And it was like, and then Stern goes, and, and anybody knows who's followed Howard Stern, he is an avid pro-vax. Everybody should get vaxxed. You should all get, you know, go to hell if you don't get vaxxed. And that was even when you were vaccinated. And so she's like, oh, crap. You know, in her mind, you can see the gears going, oh, crap. I just I talked about how sick I was and I was vaccinated. And, and so she spins it back to say that, yeah, well, but I wasn't in the hospital with it. And I realized that if I, did, if I wasn't vaccinated, I would have been dead. Um, there is literally no, no evidence whatsoever that a 21-year-old female who is fit and in shape was in danger of dying. Was she sick? Absolutely. Was she in danger of dying? Uh, no, but, but she said that if, as if it's fact. And again, you know, here the entire world is saying that this is a fact, but there is no line that is coming from whether it's Howard Stern or Fauci of when this thing is over. So we're, you know, we just have to, how do we live in all these things in, in all these things, um, famine, persecution, nakedness, like th- these are all things, uh, that the God is still working in. And so for us, we as a church family, whether, you know, I'll say this: if if you are still letting a uh, I, like, I don't even know who the author of this story is in the New York Times. I, I, her name is Mar- uh, Maria Kramer. Actually, I'm not even familiar with her. Uh, but if we're going to let recent, you know, MIT grads, Stanford grads, uh, woke journalists tell us the narrative of something, um, the, the days of a, of, a, of a journalist being the journalist and writing the stories. Uh, of a here's what happened, here's what didn't happen. Those are long gone, at least at least in corporate media. We're not going to do that here. Uh, we, I want you to read. I want to read with with a, with a critical eye and a critical ear, and to be able to see, you know, look for the truth in the middle of that. To not live by the lies, and to come back to this simple idea that in all these things, even when someone is lying about Dave Ramsey, when they're lying about COVID restrictions and, and death and like when they're lying about it, we are not going to live as if the lie is true. Not only is it that we're going to say that it's false, we're not going to live as if it's a true statement because that is how totalitarian governments and authoritarian regimes take over is you have to say, okay, this is the lie, but we're going to live like this lie is true. And if you've not read Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, stop everything, including this podcast, and read it right now. I think what we're asking our listeners to consider and in those that follow conduit is to think critically, be critical thinkers, um, be vigilant to have a sense of, of awareness to wake up to just the regular day to day coming and going and pay attention a little bit to everything that's going on and, um, I think together we're trying to make sense of it all, but to actually critically think through these these topics, these these events, these things that are happening, and to have a sense of vigilance, to be vigilant, to be aware. Um, there's verses all through the New Testament that remind us of uh, of being vigilant, to be uh, you know have a sober spirit, to be um, to be diligent. In, in your awareness of, of the enemy. Not everything is an enemy, right? Not everything is out right. to get us. That's back to that victim mentality. But at the same time, um, there, there is an adversary, and we have to have an awareness. We have to be vigilant to protect our families and our communities from these things. Yeah, I mean, that's how Paul ends Romans chapter 8, verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, 
any powers, speaking of principalities, powers, governments, uh, height, depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in our Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, you know, when we talk about this, we can talk specifically uh, so that we know and that we're not, you know, cowering in a corner so we know what's true and what's not true. But we also don't need to live in the sense of anxiety and fear uh, on, on, on any side of this, including in, in, in the Christian world. Um, will they require vaccines uh, for, for the, the future? I mean, probably. It seems like it. Um, I, yes. I, I, <laughs> it, I was yeah, going to say. I know. This is the part where I just keep thinking, man, I'm so, so stupid, so naive. I saw somebody yesterday talking about, you know, because I've seen this over and over and over and over again. This like, well, you've had to have the smallpox. You've had to have uh, measles and whatever. Those are one shots. Those are one things. Polio, this is one thing. I, I had it when I was a child because it worked. This is the first time, in, at least that I know of in recorded history, where they're talking about this isn't a vaccine. This is literally uh, an MRN, a treatment that we're going to have to get every few months for it to succeed. In, in some countries, they're already talking about the fourth one. This Israel whole, specifically. Israel, yeah, yeah, exactly. Israel. And by the, by the way, if you're wondering, you know, if anybody is technologically advanced and savvy, it's, it's Israel. And they're now on number four. So, so how do you continue to mandate? So is that going to continue to happen? It seems like it. Um, but we uh, don't have to live by the lie, even though we may have to live with the consequences. Sure. And I, I don't know. I think that that's part of what Rob Dreyer's book makes is that we're, we were in a country where we've been so coddled and so comforted that there are, you know, the minute a consequence hits us, we tend to fold like a napkin. And so we just live by the lie because so, it's just easier this way. We may have to live with some consequences and I'll bring them on. You know, we put a little sign in the window of our church that we do not discriminate against anyone, masked, unmasked, vaxxed, unvaxxed, male, you know, gender, female, uh, we just don't, and we will not. Um, if if requiring someone to to wear a mask is going to keep them out of here, we don't want. We, 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 there's no requirement that's gonna, we don't. We're not going to put any requirement that's going to keep anybody out of out of our church building, and so, and that includes vaccination. We will never check a vax card ever in this. I if you want to get vaccinated, absolutely you should do that. But I don't. I don't want to know that. We don't. You don't have to bring a card to me any more than you have to tell me. You know whether your sexual transmitted disease history. Like I don't. It's not uh, none of our business here. That's completely out of the purview of what Jesus has called us to do. So that's the practical side of it. And then in all these things, um, uh, even you can even feel it in, in my voice. I wonder if my little Apple Watch is telling me my heart rate is up. Uh, <laughs> uh, that I, what, what you're hearing in my voice is passion. For the, for the sake of the gospel, passion for the sake of the glory. Because at the, verse 30, he tells us, which is, by the way, this is the difference between any religion, between any philosophy, whether you're Marcus Aurelio, uh, Gary V, Tony Robbins, or the Buddha, or Allah. That Jesus glorified those he justified, he glorified. And that word glorified means weight, purpose, meaning, like the, the heft of it. And after Jesus justified us, and we've said it before, it just, justified your existence. You are supposed to be here. And I'll prove it because I, I love you so much. I could evaporate you. No one would ever know, but I'm going to die for you so that you can be restored unto God. If you don't think that you justified your existence, you're crazy because he did that for us. And after that, then it says he glorified us, meaning that he's giving us the purpose, the weight, the meaning, and we can live in all of these things, knowing that the purpose and meaning is not this earth, but the, the world that, uh, that exists outside of it, that Christ our Lord has uh, given us access to, and that when the restoration of all things happens, we will still be here. We will still, in the new world and new purpose, any other ideology doesn't allow for that because every all the other ideologies say, I'm going to earn my way in and only if I earn my way in or there is no end to go to. So then you're going to burn out and you're going to be gone. None of those allow for the purpose and the meaning that comes from, from the gospel. And that's the thing that can carry us through these things. So if you're in, in Haiti and you are under uh, oppression, if you are in Asia and you are a brick kiln slave, or if you are in America and you are experiencing COVID restrictions, 
we can be victorious in that because he glorified us. He is the one that is outside of all this. There's this whole other thing going on and it's Jesus and he's going to set it right. He's going to come back again. And that's what we can hold on to. And for that, he says, I'm convinced of this, convinced of it. And I am too. And I hope that if you're listening today, that you can be convinced of that as well. That is a beautiful conclusion. And if you're listening to this and feel maybe overwhelmed by all the different things that are happening, I would encourage you, if you're listening right now, just to take a deep breath and exhale. And if you have time today, maybe jump into Romans chapter 8, read the whole chapter all the way to the end, and be filled with hope, and be filled with the good, the good news, and a reminder of the good things that are in your life. Take inventory. Um, take inventory, especially as we're ending the year. Think back to those great things that did happen. A lot of crazy things happened, um, for sure, and that's part of taking inventory. But don't neglect, don't forget those good things, those good gifts that you experienced all year long, and perhaps even this week. And Darren will be leading us, teaching us this Sunday, um, and we're going to expand on this thought even more this weekend. And perhaps you've been listening for a while and you haven't had a chance to come visit us in person. We would love to uh, meet you and greet you on a Sunday, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., two different services each and every Sunday. Perhaps you would like to just watch us online. You can do that too. YouTube channel is just simply Conduit Church. You can find us there. We live stream every Sunday at 11 a.m. All the information, anything that we're talking about relating the mission work that we're doing, conduitmission.org. You can find us there. You can give online there. Perhaps you're thinking about end-of-year giving and um, maybe those things you want to support heading into the end of the year. There's some really incredible opportunities to do that. Um, You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Plenty of ways to get in touch with us, and we're just so grateful for your generosity. Thank you for even just giving of your time just to listen to this podcast. We are super grateful for each one of you, and we hope that you have a really great week.